Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I have the great pleasure to bring back a good friend of mine, Mr. Raja Rajbanar, who is the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer of MasterCard, as well as the President of their Healthcare Division. Raja, hi, and welcome back. Hi, Nadine. Thank you very much for having me yet again. Absolutely. My pleasure. And in fact, couldn't be a better time to have you back with us because so many things have changed since you first appeared on CMO Moves. That was, gosh, well, maybe... February of 2018. It's been a while, my friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it has. It has. You're still in your same roles, but those roles continue to expand. And with everything that's been going on in these last turbulent few weeks, um, you've been doing some rather mighty actions. So I want to hear about all of those things. But first, why don't we start with you just sharing a little bit about the two hats that you wear, and uh, we'll take it from there. Right. So I have three hats, actually. The first one is obviously all the marketing for the company at the enterprise level. And I'm responsible and accountable for the marketing performance, as well as to build our brand for the future and build the talent for the future and so on. The second hat is I'm also the head of communications, both PR as well as internal communications. And that's a very important component and it's a beautiful complement to the marketing responsibilities I have. And the third, which is relatively unrelated to these, is the healthcare business. So, in fact, I started the healthcare business here at MasterCard about three years back because I have a background in the healthcare industry before I joined MasterCard. And I'm trying to bring that knowledge that I have gained there and trying to leverage the assets and the capabilities of MasterCard to create an entirely new business. And thank God, it's doing pretty good. So we're at a really interesting point in our journeys and everybody's world has dramatically changed over the last few weeks, over the last few months, um, some countries earlier than others. In the US, for instance, you know, we've been now in the lockdown mode for about four weeks. Tell me about how you're thinking about your teams right now and how you've been helping them get through this time frame. So if I can just take one step back, you know, what I did was about two and a half years back or so, 
I created a risk management function within marketing. So marketing, for example, now I have got a risk management function, I got finance function embedded within marketing itself, right? So the risk management function, and curiously it is headed by my ex-CFO, is now the head of the risk management function. And uh, she monitors the different kinds of risks that may lie ahead for the company in the future, whether it is reputational risk, or it is financial risk, or it is data security risk. There are so many types of risks that make uh, a heat map off and say, what is the probability that something will happen and what is the extent of impact it will create on the business? And we try to focus on those and uh, get a good picture. So we have put some kind of risk in terms of what happens if there is a massive attack that happens on the cyber or something happens and the whole system collapses. We never anticipated or we did not put specifically a pandemic of this magnitude and this widely spread. But then at least we had some elements of it that we thought through even before as to how we should do it. And also what happened is as far as this current pandemic is concerned, it started as you know with China. And so we had an inkling of what was happening, but we never had any inkling of how uh, it will spread like a wildfire and what kind of a shape it takes. But as I said, we had some basic building blocks in place which were really helpful to us. Plus also seeing some markets ahead of the curve, we could learn the good and the bad, what worked, what did not work, and try to take the best and then replicate elsewhere as opposed to reinvent the wheel each time we had to do something for a new market. So what was the summary of all this? So first and foremost, these are the times when everyone is clearly very frightened and fearful. Firstly, they're worried about their own safety and security, the security and safety of their family members, the health and well-being of their family, friends, etc. Number two, they are very worried about job security. Will they have their job? Will they not have their job? And when they see that companies are laying off people or sending people on for loans, they are deeply concerned about it. And the third, of course, they have to make sure that they are continuing to deliver on their work and how do they manage that in combination with the responsibilities at home? So we identified and sought active feedback as to what are the pain points that are there that we have to resolve. So firstly, from a job security point of view, we told everyone, your jobs will be safe. Don't worry. You are just the right talent that the company needs. And you are doing a great job. And don't worry, this COVID is not going to affect your job security. Number two, we gave a lot of flexibility for people. For people who are working at home, we started helping them with internet connectivity and give them tips and tricks on how to protect themselves, how to save themselves, their data and all that. And that's on one part. But also we started doing things like we should make sure that people have adequate time with their families to pay attention to. So each region and each country, we gave that flexibility and we encouraged people to block certain times of during the day that they can focus on their families. The other thing is, in these kind of times, you cannot over-communicate with people. I, as well as my leadership team, we keep calling people all the time. They might not be our direct reports, but still call them, just inquire how they are feeling, listen to how their state of uh, you know, life is at this point in time. 
offer any helpful advice we have, or otherwise just to let them know, we are here for you. Let's stick with each other. Likewise, the other thing we have been saying on the work front is, these are the times we also have to stand by our clients and our customers. So we said, okay, actively reach out to them. Uh, let them know that you are there for them. Be very accommodative. Be very flexible at this point in time. And, and you know, I think when you stick with your people, whether it is internal employees or external clients and prospects, when they see you genuinely and sincerely being with them through the tough times, when the times turn and things are good, they will stick with you. And that's very important. So we have to earn and keep their trust and be very genuine and not do lip service or say politically correct things that will destroy the trust that you are trying to build. Yeah. So very good advice. And I want to go back to something that you said right at the beginning. You talked about risk and reputation risk. And as one of the things that you look at, you know, among financial risk, security risk, what does reputation risk mean? And how do we think about brand reputation right now in this moment? Right. So, you know, the most sacred asset for every marketer is the brand. And the most important property or characteristic of the brand should be trust. If you lose the trust, it'll take ages and ages to undo the damage and regain and reestablish the trust. At times like this, it's very critical that brands behave responsibly. So for example, because you have an opportunity at this point in time to jack up the prices, just because as a marketer you can do it now, and the customers don't have any other alternate option, you lose their trust publicly. I have got two recent examples right this week, right? I was, because I'm working from home and I'm doing a number of uh, calls and uh, video conferences like this, I ordered for a stand for my iPad. The stand was costing $65, which is fine. They said for shipping, they were charging me $211. Oh my God. Now I need it. Otherwise they say it'll come to you after two months time. Now that to me is price gouging. Or another situation, probably we were not smart enough to go and hold all these uh, disinfectants and wipes and stuff like that. I went on, uh, on, online and then to check if there is a uh, you know, disinfectant spray that is available. Normal time price, it was about $7 or something of that sort. They were charging me about 12 times more at this point in time, 10 to 12 times more. I said, just because you can, you should not do it. You should do it the right way every single time. Now, these two companies, I can swear, I am not going to go back to them ever. I feel totally deceived. And, and they were, no, they're reputed brands. But I said, guys, what are you doing? You know, it, it's, it's a sad state, right? And I've heard horror stories. So this is how, as a marketer, you can kill your brand and you can right. kill the trust. Don't ever do it, number one. Number two, don't ever be tone deaf. You should really understand that people are in a state of anxiety, state of fearfulness, 
state of uh, loneliness. There are a lot of negative emotions that they are going through right now. And you should not come out of sync with that and start talking about some fancy things which are not relevant. At the same time, when you talk to consumers, they are saying brands don't have to and should not hide. They should not run and hide. But it's not simply sufficient for brands to talk at us. We want brands to do something, right? I think brands have to do something at this point in time because they can and therefore they should, right? And I think that's, that's a very, very important component of the current approach that people have to take. And, uh, you know, like I can give you a lot of good examples of some of the folks, what they are doing. In some cases, some companies are repurposing the capacity to either make ventilators or there are companies which are making masks. And that's not their business line at all, but they're repurposing their infrastructure to produce these kind of things. Or in terms of some companies literally supporting meals program where meals are being sent to people who are old and vulnerable uh, and actually getting them delivered. No, these are the things that truly matter as opposed to putting some pretty ads or playing with your logos and separate it for the other distance and then stop it, stop it that. You have to really do something, walk the talk at this point in time. Just, just don't pay lip service only. Yeah. So really, really timely for this discussion because we're seeing so many brands completely rethink even their core product or their core competency to repurpose it to serve a need or to fill a gap. Those examples that you gave are great. I have a couple of questions for you coming out of that. One is, there are a lot of companies who are quite large that have some flexibility to be able to do that right now because it's, it's going to be a, a large cost for them to absorb, but they know it's the right thing and, and they know that being able to fill that need and to serve consumers right now will have a much better, bigger, long-term impact in their overall brand reputation and health. What about companies who are struggling because of their short-term pressures? Like how do they, they all want to do the right thing, but how do they stay in business and do the right thing and or make a case for investment for the greater good right now versus the short-term needs? Right. So uh, I think you really hit the nail on the head. Large companies with significant cash balances can go through this crisis and, and survive the crisis successfully and come out the other end and then start growing back again. But for small companies or medium-sized companies, they literally live month to month or quarter to quarter. And if the businesses are not really generating any revenue, like for example, take small restaurants, they're on gone. Right, and many of them will go actually bankrupt. Uh, and if you even if you look at businesses not as small as a restaurant, but even bigger than that, still they need working capital. They need they need a lot of help at this point in time. And even if you give them loans to pay off some of their bills and take care of aspects like this, without revenues, they just cannot succeed. And the, my advice to folks who are in marketing with relatively smaller companies they have to reach out for help. They cannot do the whole thing themselves, right? On the one hand, they should reach out to their counterparts or peers in larger companies and actively explore how there could be collaborative opportunities that are win-win for both. 
the small company and large company. It's not that large companies will be uh, just generally they are doing it for philanthropy. Large companies also will gain out of this partnership with this business, small businesses. I think that's going to be very, very critical. I'll just give you one example. So many small businesses, if they would want to run marketing campaigns at this point in time, because they got some online sales or something of that sort, they may not have the necessary wherewithal or the technical expertise or the infrastructure to run effectively the platforms for online sales or for that matter, to effectively uh, 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 generate demand uh, for their business at this point in time. Now, companies uh, who are larger, who are in this space, can absolutely help. And we, for example, at MasterCard, we have been trying to reach out to small businesses and then figure out these areas of uh, intersection where we could be helpful to them. And in the process, we are also going to benefit. It's a question of who is benefiting more. But the key thing is, so long as all of us are benefiting, we should do it. And most importantly, you will extend the life of the small business through the crisis and beyond, which is very critical at this point in time. Secondly, there are a lot of government funds which are being announced. I would say that the small business associations have to work with the policymakers. Now, when you're earmark $2.4 trillion, $2.3 trillion, and so on, it can go in a thousand different ways. And I think it is important that the policymakers are educated and that they are sensitized to some of these issues and, and help them channel these resources so that not a single business by itself can do it, but as an association, they should absolutely reach out to the policymakers. That's how it's number two. Number three, I would say that uh, at times when the revenues are drying up, you have to keep your powder dry for better times. So you cannot start spend marketing dollars at this point in time because if your revenues are coming down, your expenses have to be kept low if you have to survive and not go bankrupt. And if you are cutting down your marketing dollars, particularly in a context of performance marketing, what will happen? That's where I see there are tons of opportunities for companies to come together and do co-marketing. And co-marketing works brilliantly because collectively, what uh, you know, multiple companies can deliver as a value proposition to any audience is far higher than what an individual company can do by itself. So you can actually move consumers into purchasing from this consortium, so to speak, of this you know, complementary set of businesses which come together and then serve. You can save actually marketing dollars. You can also be more compelling to the consumers in that sense. And I think large businesses have a responsibility too. Like for example, if you know, we are a large company as MasterCard, it's a Fortune 500 company. And how do we support these small businesses ourselves? Right? So for example, we have already set aside $250 million uh, to help these small businesses in different ways. And we are not unique. There are a lot of other companies which are doing these kind of things. And I think it'll be very helpful for the small businesses, particularly through their associations, understand, or the, through their trade groups, understand which are all the companies that are out there willing to extend a helping hand. And how do you tap into that to be able to get support for your business? And that, I think, is how they have to do. So the marketers today, in particularly the small businesses, or even the owners, in many cases, the owner is the marketer, the owner is the financier, the owner is everything, right? So they have to seek a lot of help uh, from the large companies, from the government, from the trade bodies, etc. Uh, and it's a long and a difficult journey, no question about it. 
but yeah. we have to go through it together. And I'm so glad you said that because literally 10 minutes before I got on the line with you, I hit send on a, on an email to the community and uh, we've heard this need for brands to work together, whether you're small or large or medium, it doesn't matter. Everyone has a superpower that's unique in their own businesses. And if they just come together and brainstorm, there's lots of things we can do beyond the traditional performance marketing, um, even as a band of marketers, right? So what we put together was a private channel for brands to collaborate called Brands Together. And we'll see how that goes because it literally is live as, you know, not even 45 minutes into this, but uh, that's one way. And, and that's meant, you know, specifically for brand marketers, but they're all parts of an organization. And as marketing is thinking about the way that they're reshaping their marketing right now, whether, you know, they're taking an existing advertising and pulling out images that might come across as tone deaf, as you said, or if they're looking at just completely reshifting their budgets, what is the advice you would give them as they need to go back to their CEOs and say, this is what we're doing in marketing. Here's why, not just from a, it's the right thing to do standpoint, but this will serve our business in the long run. How do you coach them on that? See, just like I said, that you have to be completely in tune with your consumers and customers and not be tone deaf. You should also be completely in tune with your CEO and CFO and not be tone deaf. If you go and talk to them about the brand values, the brand attributes, at this point in time, you'll be thrown out of the room. They are fighting the fire. Revenues are dropping like crazy. So they want to tighten the belts. There are very few big pockets of money that can be cut down. Unfortunately, advertising and marketing is one of those buckets, one of those pools of money. So they will come after it. There's no question about it, right? So before you go to your CEO or CFO, understand what is their mission and try to figure out how you can support their mission. If you can help generate revenues in the short order, by all means, have clear plans that are demonstrable, that are credible, saying that, hey, I can spend X amount of money and I can generate this amount of incremental revenue. And this is why I believe I can accomplish these results. That belief part of it cannot be simply say, trust me. You need to have some clear logic with which you go there. That's number one. Number two, proactively you say, look, these are the other investments I would have made during normal times, but I want to pair them back to this extent. And this is the savings I can offer you and the amount that I want to retain in those buckets, here is what I'm planning to do. And here is why it is critical that during crisis moments, you don't go dark. There are enough studies which are there, enough credible studies which are there, which they can dip into. Or in fact, one of the things which I find always helpful is to have some other CMO from another organization who has got the reputation and the standing and the gravitas to come and talk to your CEO. Mm -hmm. Typically, the same truth when told by an outsider is believed more than told by somebody inside. Right? And for example, for some of the bank CMOs, I have been reaching out and talking to the CEOs of those banks on behalf of these CMOs. 
right? And the fact is when they hear it from me, and it's no different than what their own CMO has been saying, there is a different level of credibility because I'm an outsider and with no vested interest. So there's more objectivity and therefore they believe it. And it, it helps the cause. So I think this is also the time where probably if there is, for example, a meeting like what you are seeing, which is a fantastic forum that you are starting, maybe they should invite their CEOs and CFOs to this forum. Let the CEOs and the CFOs hear what the other CMOs are talking about to gain a certain level of perspective and not just be in their own small isolated world. It, it opens up eyes, I can tell you that very clearly. So I think th these are the things. You're already setting a new path, Nadine, in many ways. This is one additional thing that you might want to add to your uh, you know, repertoire. I think it would be really helpful for small businesses, medium businesses, and large businesses. Okay, that's a good tip and a, and a good piece of advice. So thank you for that. And, you know, it's interesting because I remember in our first podcast, going back now a couple of years ago, we were talking about the fact that you literally had a best-in-class model for marketing to work with finance to be joined at the hip in talking with their CEO. And you had created a joint team between your marketing and finance team in collaboration with your CFO. Yeah. So I want to uh, remind people, because we're going to be coming up out of time here, that if they want to hear all about that, they can go back and listen to your first podcast. I wrote a case study about that called The Business of Marketing. But in this time too, right now, and I remember we talked about then without the urgency, without the pandemic, that retention is worth five to one over acquisition. And yet so many people still put so much money into acquisition to the tune of 80%, which is way off the return ratio. But having that conversation with your CEO is not always easy because of the short-term pressures. So let's pretend for just a moment because it's a different time right now. But if you had to talk about the value of reputation branding or building the reputation of the brand through marketing as a trust builder and a retention driver, you know, what, what advice would you give folks in ensuring that they can capture part of their budget there and not just all in the short? Right. Uh, that's actually probably one of the toughest conversations that a CMO will have with his or her CEO. One of the, uh, this is the classical paradox, right? It's always long-term versus short-term. And if the CEO, and not if the, but when the CEO has to deliver quarter to quarter, month to month, uh, they're under the short-term pressure, which you have to be cognizant of. The times to have these conversations do not begin in crisis times only. This should be an year-round conversation, in, even through a crisis. That's when you have a consistent narrative with the CEO, and you're not changing your tune, and you're coming up with a different uh, model or a different proposal. The way I would approach a CEO in this context is to clearly outlay for him or her what would happen if the brand goes dark. Beyond just a judgment, that's very critical. You need to uh, dig into numbers to say, okay, how much does my brand image or brand salience affect my sales at this point in time? And how much does it affect my attrition at this point in time? So whether it is an inflow or the outflow, right? And again, there are studies and studies that are there in each category that we can refer to even if you don't have your own study. Quantify the whole thing in a very simple way for the CEO. 
saying that your bottom line, if I don't invest now, this is what the trajectory will be, which is six months down the line, nine months down the line. If I go dark today, we will have a huge problem on hand. That will be a self-created, self-inflected crisis. Here now crisis is happening to us. Then we have made the crisis ourselves. If on the other hand, you genuinely don't know what your brand is doing for your business, then you have no business to open your mouth. Because to begin with, you should not be holding that role if you don't know what your brand is doing for your business. Right? You are supposed to be the brand steward. Brand steward is not to make your brand look pretty. It's meant to drive competitive edge. It's meant to drive the business. It's meant to give your brand or the company the advantage over anybody else out there so that you're able to charge a premium or you're able to retain better or acquire for lesser cost or whatever. So if you don't have that, you have got a more fundamental issue. You have to re-examine <laughs> whether you're on the right role or not. But if you have that, you have to really go back with the right story to your CEO, the narrative to the CEO. It should be fact-based. It should be laid out very logically. It should be put with quantitative numbers out there and cross-referencing. And if you need external help, take another CMO with you by whom you are not threatened that that CMO is after your job. Yeah. But and I'm, and I'm not saying it facetiously. I have seen this movie so many times in the last 35 years that I have been in the marketing field, not just in the United States, but in multiple geographies around the world. And I can tell you, this, is, uh, this has been, a, it's been there for 35 years. It's not something new. So I think, you know, it's very critical that marketers really wake up to this reality and uh, tackle it appropriately and behave like general managers and not like marketing specialists. Okay. Wow. Well, I have goosebumps and I think that's a good place for us to wrap this up. But you know, I, I can't ever let you go, Raja, without asking you my final question. Now, I asked you my typical final question the first time around where I said, if money or talent were no object, what would you be doing right now? And I remember your answer. Do you remember your answer? Mm -hmm. Hopefully um, I'm consistent. Uh, yes, hopefully you're consistent. But uh, I'll let you off the hook because I actually want to flip it around a little bit. And, and um, I've been thinking about this a lot uh, for the last few weeks. And you and I both share this passion around animals. And we talk a lot about people and we haven't been talking a lot about animals in the last few weeks. But there's definitely a growing urgency there. I know you're heavily involved in that. Tell me what you're seeing. See, a uh, few things. First and foremost, you know, I, like you, I'm a huge animal lover. I'm mm -hmm. partial to dogs, but I love animals in total. And it, it, it's really gut-wrenching because on the one hand, if you look at the kennels, uh, they're all shutting down because they don't have any business. Currently, the dogs are at home or the pets are at home. So you are, because everyone else is at home, they are sort of taken care of. These are the household pets I'm talking about. But shelters, you know, these dogs don't have homes. That's why they're in the shelters. And when people are not going to shelters, who is feeding them, yeah. right? God bless some volunteers who are going out of their way to go and feed these uh, poor animals. And, uh, but it's not very regular. Some persons are able to do it twice or thrice in a week. Then what happens? The animal has to starve till the next time around. So I think there is a need for people to volunteer. To some people, it might come through saying that, oh, people are dying here in such a big way and these idiots are focused on animals. No, we share this planet. You cannot just 
focus on one component of the planet and ignore everybody else. But the animals have a right to live on this planet. They have a right to thrive. And I think we, as people able to provide that thing for them, we should take care of them because they cannot take care of themselves. Okay, they are vulnerable. And I think, you know, so I think there's a lot of need now for three things. Number one, volunteers. That's extremely important. Number two, funds. Now, funds to buy the food. And number three is the medical care for these animals. You know, and uh, just like human beings, they go through the entire cycle themselves too. And they have got their anxieties. They have got their uh, tensions. They are, you know, they feel lonely. They feel frightened. And they're starving many times, which is not fair. So you need to really be able to support them in every which way. And this is the time, in fact, I would say, let's reach out to the humane society. Let's reach out to the various animal shelters and you know, uh, the societies that are dedicating themselves to the well-being of these animals. We all have to really support them. And, uh, you know, uh, and I would really urge anyone who has even a little bit of compassion for animals, this is the time you have to really support these animals. Yes, well, I agree with you 100%, and it's been keeping me up at night because I used to volunteer my time at a shelter all as a kid and throughout, and I wonder what's happening right now in terms of just going out into the field and saving animals from abusive situations. We can't find them or get to them now if nobody's out there. I know you and I share this passion, which is why I brought it up, and I want to make sure that other people are thinking about it too, to do our part to help the animals of this planet as well through this crisis. Absolutely. Let's hope and pray for the best. Yes. And Nadine, as usual, I think you are absolutely outstanding in what you are doing. And the Mm. kind of contribution that you're making to the marketing community is absolutely astounding. And I'm not saying it to flatter you. Uh, You know, there are hundreds of my peers and colleagues in the marketing community who will vouch for what I'm saying about you and what you have been doing. Thank you very much for what you do. And equally privileged and honored to be on your podcast a second time. And hopefully we will not wait for two more years to have our next conversation. But Absolutely. Thank you so much, Raj. I really appreciate it. And, and I really, really appreciate you taking the time today to chat with me. So have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll not wait two years to see each other again, for sure. Thank you. And be safe. Okay. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too. And if you have time, I would really love your review or ratings on Apple or SoundCloud. So thanks again and have a great day. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 